Will you pray with me? May your word this morning, O Lord, open up our ears and our hearts, and may we trust that you have a word for each of us this day. Amen. In about 1992, the iconic show, Saturday Night Live, introduced a sketch called Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Many of you probably remember Stuart Smalley, a man on his own self-help path, and he would start and end each of his talk show episodes with, uh, by looking into a mirror and reciting his mantra of uplift to himself. Now, if you know this, you need to say it with me, okay? He says, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. So became the tongue-in-cheek affirmation for a generation of viewers like me. And despite that, I've gone forward and titled this sermon, The Grace of Good Enough, hoping you do not hear Stuart Smalley's voice as I deliver it. What I propose is that in resistance to a culture that constantly tells us to strive to be better, stronger, smarter, thinner, richer, leaner, prettier, kinder, and on and on, we accept Stuart Smalley's good enoughness as good news of God's grace. The sufficiency of God's grace in Christ could be considered one of Paul's central, core theological messages. In chapter 11, before the chapter that Ellen read, Paul recites a long litany of of torments and persecutions that he endured. And then on top of it all, he mentions these profound spiritual experiences, these visions that he experienced that were unspeakable to any other mortal. Paul says he was given a mysterious affliction, a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. If I will boast, let me boast in the Lord. He also admits that three times he asked the Lord, petitioned to be released from his mysterious affliction, and the Lord responded, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Grace is sufficient for you, power is made perfect in weakness. Embracing his wounds became central to Paul's understanding of the message of the gospel that he preached. Strength comes from accepting our flaws and imperfections. Joy comes in living the life we have. And often, when fear and pain and disappointment arrive like unexpected guests, we have to clear space in our house. We set up a room for them to stay a while. 
Strength in weakness is not a message that plays well in our culture that is so attached to individualistic success. The goal is actually to minimize pain and to deny that we have weaknesses, to avoid our shortcomings. The slogan, live your best life, is splashed on t-shirts and book covers and coffee mugs. The message saturates our media feeds and taunts us not to settle for the life we are actually living but to strive for something else. The problem is to live our so-called best life keeps us from seeing the gifts in our actual lives. The temptation to live your best life is that you exist in suspended time, looking for that mythical land of perfection. You aren't content with your life in the here and now. You'll be happy when your list of prerequisites are met. I'll be ready to live my life if and when I lose 10 pounds or 15 or 20. My, my skin clears up, my hair cooperates, my kitchen is remodeled. My kid starts taking responsibility for their life my partner understands my needs. My boss values my hard work. My debt gets under control. My mom or dad finally love me the way I've longed for them. You fill in the blank. Each of us has our prerequisites to a sufficient life. The pandemic has revealed in so many ways that life can bring, at the same time, suffering and joy. There is laughter amidst a cascade of tears. Strength can come, says Paul, through wounds and weaknesses. As if the pandemic hasn't been enough to deal with, there are still cancer diagnoses, sudden deaths, appendicitis, is that the right word? Appendicitis, Appen appendectomies. Teenagers going off the rails, disappointing responses to college applications, babies arriving too early. And those are just a handful of things that have gone, or, gone on around this place. Life comes at us hard. But pain and disappointment don't have to stop us from living lives that are good enough, that are sufficient. The pandemic is teaching us that we don't have to lower our standards to be okay, but we need to expand our imaginations. We can enlarge our vision of what is sufficient for today. We know we are made for relationships, and the pandemic is revealing just how much we long to connect with others. Zoom is not ideal, but it's good enough. If you really want to see your grandbabies, or you really want to have that book group, or you really want to have a happy hour with friends, worshiping in the sanctuary 
is not ideal with masks and not being able to sing, but it's good enough to be together in the house of the Lord. Online church isn't ideal, but it's good enough to feel connected with your community. Outdoor Sunday school isn't ideal, but it's good enough, and I think the children would actually argue it's awesome to be outside on the playground. The pandemic is teaching us we don't have to have control over our lives, and we actually cannot manufacture control over our lives through raw determination. It's when we let go of our need to control is when the faith adventure begins. Because faith requires vulnerability. Faith requires a leap into uncertainty. Faith requires letting go of our need to meticulously plan our lives. Faith celebrates weakness. Now, when we're unable to trust that we are simply not good enough, just the way we are, imperfect creatures, we get caught in this cycle of self-doubt and self-loathing and paradoxically, self-obsession. To spin this to, no, it was Ellen, no, sorry, focusing on how others think of us or might be thinking of us or judging us becomes an unhealthy preoccupation. It was Eleanor Roosevelt who wryly said, you wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realized how seldom they do. <laughs> to spin this idea in a theological way, St. Augustine said, sin is being curved in upon oneself. Sin is being curved in upon oneself. So by focusing on what we find hard to love in ourselves, we curve in upon ourselves. And by focusing on what we, what we want to change in ourselves, we curve in on ourselves. By obsessing over what we lack, we curve in upon ourselves. So what if, instead of always trying to build back better, stronger, thinner, richer, smarter, faster, leaner, kinder, more accomplished, we try on the mantra, I'm simply good enough. Right now, right here, in this life, this life I'm living today is good enough. It's believing we are enough now that can help us stop running faster and faster toward a, a finish line of perfection that just keeps getting moved back the closer we get to it. When we accept the fact that our flaws and our wounds won't disappear from our lives entirely, we can begin to befriend them. Through the sufficient grace of Christ, we can allow ourselves to be good enough Christians 
a good enough father, a good enough mother, good enough friend, good enough partner, good enough wife, good enough husband, good enough daughter, good enough son, good enough aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, neighbor. You insert what you need to hear. I admit, though, some professionals, we do not want to be just good enough, like surgeons or airplane pilots. They really need to be better than good enough. If we can allow our own good enoughness, we're more likely to let others be good enough, too. If we're accepting our own weaknesses, our own wounds and flaws, we open up space for grace. We don't have to lower our standards. We have to paint a picture of what is good. We live imperfect lives. We are imperfect people. Perfection is a made-up ideal that we really have no idea what it looks like. But sufficient grace means we can stop feeling perpetually inadequate. We can see ourselves, no matter what our age, as God sees us. Children who are imperfect, flawed, needy, whiny, hurting, charming, funny, caring, capable, surprising, smart, and doggone it, good enough. And God likes us. Thanks be to God. Amen.